0: Hi, I'm Jane Austere, and this is Doing It by the Book. Hey, this podcast is going to contain some mature and explicit content. If you're under 18, you'd better stop listening and go ask your parents. All right, I'm Jane. I'm here with Clara. And this is episode four, and we are recording on Sunday, June 22nd, 2014. All right, Claire Cross, would you like to introduce yourself
1: to our listeners? Go ahead. Hi, Jane. Um, Thank you for having me. I am Claire Cross, and I have a BA in English literature, um, and I have a deep love of historical um, romance novels, so I'm
0: here to discuss. Very cool. Very cool. Um, okay, so usually we start the show with some book romance novel news, and the news articles that I have today are mostly about uh, books banned in schools for sexual references, mm-hmm. right? That's what I sent you? Yes. Okay. Um, so the first couple things, I mean, the one thing that I wanted to start out with um, was mostly because I've just seen it all over the internet when it comes to banning books and that sort of thing is The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie. Mm -hmm. And I know that recently it was under review and they had this whole thing about how it mentions masturbation and how it um, talks about that kind of thing. And just a lot of parents thought it was simply just not okay to be mentioned anywhere in any sort of school reading list whatsoever. Um, And that leads into other books that have been banned because of their sexual content. What do you
1: think of that? Um, well, I did a little bit of research on it, and I found um, that the Guardian posted a an article on April eighth, two thousand fourteen, oh. and where they kind of um, discussed a little bit of Alexi's, um, I guess, trials and tribulations with the novel. And um, apparently, it's been challenged or banned six times in the past six months, which seems just ludicrous to me. Yeah. Um, and it's just it seems like such a not a waste, but just a, like a, a horrible thing for you being like a, an administrator or like a, a librarian or a teacher trying to put together a curriculum and then have a, a parent, in this case, come in and say that the material is unsuitable for your children. And the funny thing is, is that a lot of these um, high schools that are looking to ban them, these are being pitched to like 10th graders which are, like, you know, 15-, 16-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, right around the age of their target audience of, of Alexi. So I just – it just boggles my mind.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs>
1: um, and I did find a quote um, from Joan Burton. She's the executive director director of the National Coalition Against Censorship. Excuse me. Okay. <laughs> um, and I thought it was really great. So, um She said, it was from the Guardian um, article, she said, Students have the right to read, affecting, engaging, and valuable works, and teachers have the right to include them in their curriculum. Public education should not be subject to the personal views and preferences of individuals, nor should access to high-quality education be obstructed by government officials. And I think that just, like, hits it spot on. That's
0: beautifully said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right, there were some other books recently that were, that was challenged, and one of them was the... Uh, book called oh man it was a Cory Doctor Doctoro book and um, it it was pretty interesting because the author actually responded back mm-hmm. to the censorship which I thought was pretty interesting um, the book is called Little, Little Brother and it is about essentially like hacking culture and um, how these kids you know know about hacking computers and using their technology to kind of change the environment and that sort of stuff. And I think there was one reference to um, discussing sex and sexuality and passing, um, also a couple of swear words. And so it was challenged in Pensacola, Florida, um, which, again, is is pretty frustrating. But the author actually, you know, made a YouTube video Mm -hmm. and spoke out against it saying, you know, if there are people out there that really think that this is such a bad book, then they need to, like, readjust their views and he actually um, did another program in which he gave it, it was banned from the summer reading program, and so instead he gave away a bunch of his free books to go towards a different summer reading program that the kids could option for over the summer, their summer reading, which mm-hmm. I thought was pretty interesting. Um, but that just goes right along with the whole idea of censorship and how, um, you know, as a culture, we are not really prepared to talk to our kids in a young adult sense about sexuality and about our bodies and that kind of thing, which is really dumb, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Just to say it simply is very stupid thing to do. Yeah. Um, mainly because you know this is you like she said, like she co- like quoted. This is how our kids gain information through mm-hmm. this type of media, and if we're going to stop them from reading or gaining this information in this sense, then we are, you know, hindering them more than we think that we are. Yeah. Um, I actually read an article before you came over here and it was about how this, there was a woman who was a, um, she dealt a lot. She was a doctor and dealt a lot with, uh, children who had, um, genitals that were, you know, um, not the normal average, Mm -hmm. uh, for a boy or a girl. And had to deal with a lot with the parents discussing it with them. And so she was very open with her son about sexuality and genitals and sex in general. And when she went to go talk at schools or when she had interactions with other students' parents, they were kind of aghast or agape when they they had these discussions about Mm -hmm. sex and how the son was also very open about asking questions and learning about the mechanics of sex and learning about what it actually is. And she was shocked to find out that we don't that we as a culture don't talk about sex um, as a as a pleasure as a pleasure a pleasure pleasurable thing what I'm trying to say. Instead when we use sex education, we talk about it's for reproduction, it's not for anything else. but that's not true because yeah. everyone everyone tries to have sex
1: without having kids um, at one point. <laughs> I mean I think I think that is really interesting because I, I mean it really, reminds me of, I don't know if you're an Orange is the New Black follower or yes, not. Yes, I absolutely am. I <laughs> oh, love that show. Finished, um, my husband and I just finished season two, and um, there's one episode, um, without giving any spoilers or anything away, um, where they're, the you know female population, it's starting to spread a rumor as far as where the urethra is um, versus the rest of um, the vagina, and they're very... Very confused of what the urethra is, that it exists, and that uh, you know, and it's like so they're all talking about it, and it ends up being Laverne Cox, who is the um, transgender woman. She ends up teaching them, and she's like, "Oh, I designed my own, so I totally know,
0: (laughs) you (laughs) know, everything." Yeah,
1: Yeah, and so, but I mean, it, it kind of it's it reminds me of the fact that even just these basic principles of what your body is and where things are placed it, it's such a horrible thing that you know our kids aren't growing up knowing these things and then they become adults who have right. kids and they still don't know these things right and it's just it's almost heartbreaking i agree i absolutely
0: agree the last thing that i um sent to you the last article that i sent to you is about a actually a sex education book, mm-hmm. like a book that was published for sexual education was banned because of the graphic nature of the book, which is sort of, a, I, I, don't understand that because you know, you're this, it's a textbook. It is mm-hmm. made for sexual sex education and then we're going to ban it because it's too graphic.
1: Well, when um, I saw the article, I had, of course, naturally had to look it up, and um, I was really surprised to find that it was published in 1994. So we're talking about 20 years, (laughs) (laughs) yep, for it still to be like this major outcry. And um, it, I mean, I guess. For a lot of parents who are especially um, sensitive to sexual education, it can be very um, shocking for them because they are photo or not photos, excuse me, they're cartoons right. of um, nude people who are engaged in different sexual acts. I don't think that it's necessarily gratuitous, but um, it, like you said, it's completely um, educational and. It was designed for kids that like ten up. That's the age that it was really targeted toward. And so it was the Francis Howell School District in St. Charles, Missouri. And they're keeping it on file in ebook form. And I thought it was mm-hmm. really interesting because their their district policy is to keep it available for the parents who want their kids to grow, you know, have this like safe educational environment right, yes. to be able to like look and learn and ask questions. And then for the parents who aren't um, as I guess, open to allowing their kids to explore that, that the sexuality aspect when it comes to education, they do not give them access, they block it. Mm-hmm. And so it allows, um, that's why I, I just, I don't understand the uproar. It's, you still have your choice as a parent, right. but by banning it completely, you're taking away that resource for the parents and the children who desire it right exactly and this is the same
0: thing with any other political debate not to get too political on this romance novel podcast but Mm -hmm. i mean there are people that absolutely outright just hate something they don't Mm -hmm. want it to be available to anyone ever even if there are people out there who do want it as a thing or you know and i'm talking about the big ones marijuana mm-hmm. um medical marijuana or um gay marriage and that kind of thing there are just people out there that say no it can never be a thing it can never happen and they are not doing anything other than just harming other people Yeah. because just because something is legal just because something is available to the public doesn't mean that that one person who doesn't want it has to use it all the time
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i think that if if we as a culture start to realize that I think it'll start to definitely move away, um, and we'll start to kind of accept the things that you not necessarily like, but what we, you know, want to engage in. I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but I no, hope definitely. that this is what I am actually trying to do on this podcast is <laughs> get the word out, you know?
1: Well, I think that it's, I mean, it's important because when you're in like, especially like a, a middle school or high school environment, mm-hmm. What swirls around the student body are rumors and myths about what's going on. Right. So students end up leaving their schools and, you know, thusly adults who don't move on to higher education. I think with these myths and rumors in their mind, and it never changes because right. they don't seek that information or they're taught that it's a bad thing. So it's, you know, you were like robbing our general public of information that's vital Right.
0: And what I noticed when I was in the classroom is that there's almost an overload of information. There's so much information poured into these students' heads through different medias, through their parents, through their teachers, through their friends, and also through the internet, that they're not taught how to weed through that information to find out what is true and what isn't true and what's useful to them and what's not useful to them. And so... You know they they pick and choose based on their critical thinking skills, mm-hmm. um, and that's I think that's really originally where it comes from. And um, so I mean, that's just what I noticed when I was in the classroom, and what I saw was that they just didn't know how to weed through that those hmm. rumors and information.
1: I think that I mean the internet is a whole you know another whole other topic um, in itself. But personally, um, I do not have children, but I'm a huge sex ed ad- advocate. And when I do have children, it would be something that I definitely, um, you know, go into length about with them and I want to make sure that they're informed. Um, but I would rather my kid get all of my, all of their like information as far as sex ed is concerned from mm-hmm. an ebook that's published by, you know, people that have, you know, reputable, um, credentials versus going on Reddit and <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, pulling up a horrible post with, misinformation or completely terrifying images and stories you know it's, yeah so I think that I think that people aren't recognizing that we do have the, everything at our fingertips the internet at our fingertips and all of this information and for kids like you said that's so confusing and then they get into these deep dark trails of the internet that just you know rip apart their souls <laughs> yeah. um
0: okay so I want to move on uh, from this topic because we only have so much time. Um, so this week, sorry, this week, we uh, read chapter two of Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, did you happen to take a listen or read the chapter?
1: Uh, yeah. Yes, good.
0: <laughs> okay, just to um, move into that, uh, we have a few news items um, from this past week about things that have happened based on the Fifty Shades of Grey. And one thing that I found was particularly interesting is that there's a lawsuit, (laughs) um, two Texas women sue over Fifty Shades of Grey profits stating that, um, the owner of the writer's coffee shop, um, Amanda Hayward, who originally published Fifty Shades of Grey by Mm -hmm. E.L. James, um, they, they, these two women wanted to share from the profits, um, because they were, um, I guess, helpers, um, they were founders of the, publish, the publishing house, and, um, and they, they want profits from it, so, um, anyway, I just thought this was particularly interesting, because it doesn't really seem that they're trying to get profits from E.L. James, they're just trying to get profits from the publishing house from which they worked, um, which I thought was kind of weird. Um, just reading, just scrolling through the article a little bit. Did, I mean, did you notice anything in particular that jumped out at you about this?
1: Well, I mean, I can't say that I necessarily blame them for doing so. Um, I, I believe it was picked up by Random House after. Right, after the um, writer's coffee shop. Yeah, yeah, and I think that in that kind of a case, I, w- especially if, it, if there's, um, you know, editorial team or people going in and, and putting their different pieces of you know contributions their different pieces of like their hands or whatever into the into the story or trying to make sure that everything comes to fruition I would be pretty upset if I had a part in it, and then all of a sudden it became, you know, huge. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and you just wrote me out because you were, you know, a little like skilled. She she said it was for tax purposes, right? Yes. And so it wasn't even um, a conversation that they had. I mean, that was that was complete like secrecy. Yeah, and she—they even say that she fraudulently induced them into signing
0: their service agreement. So like she coerced them into signing. And, but again, you know, how, how much of, of this do we know to be true? You yes, know, exactly. because, you know, when something does become this big, a lot of people just want to cut of the cake. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought that was pretty funny because last week we read a different article about law students actually having a question on 50 shades yeah. of gray as it becomes <laughs> so popular, which is just, just pretty crazy on my, on my far, my part.
1: So the lesson learned is
0: legal safeguards are very important. <laughs> yes. And always be up on your pop culture just in case. Um, so not as, not as interesting, I guess, but kind of funny and interesting that stuff is going on. And the other interesting part that I do want to mention <laughs> is that there's going to be another fan fiction that gets published. <laughs> Have you heard of this? Uh, not until I read the article. on okay. I was just
1: blown. it right. away.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The fanfiction in question has to do with one Harry Styles, who is the singer in One Direction, um, and yeah. So I don't really know where to go with this one, other than the fact that someone wrote a fanfiction based on a real person.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's a big thing. Oh, okay. It's a big thing. I, I, a little bit of um, a little bit of confession here.
0: Okay, go so for it.
1: I was like really into the fan fiction thing. My um, first genre was really like Harry Potter, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's um, extremely popular and then it kind of transformed formed into more of a musical scene. So at that time, it was like, um, you know, my chemical romance was really hot when I was in high school. And um, I found, it wasn't necessarily fan fiction on like fanfiction.net or one of those platforms. It actually was um, like over AIM. It was like an IM chat. Okay. So you would get together, like this big group of people, and come up with these like pseudonyms of the bandmates, and then create this really weird kind of toxic fan fiction world. Okay. And write like you were writing in fanfiction, so I would write a paragraph from my character's point of view, and then the other person would write one from theirs, and we'd go back and forth, which, I mean, it's actually really great when it comes to improving your writing. Yeah, sure. And, um... So, I mean, that world is definitely out there. and I was not aware of that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I knew
0: about fan fiction, about, like, you know, books. Obviously, yeah. Twilight and Harry Potter are definitely big ones that I'm aware of. But music scene, I actually did not know about. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, and that's really interesting about the co-writing, you know, with people on the internet and writing, kind of creating a uh, narrative together is also really mm-hmm. interesting, too. Well, <laughs> I guess that I learned something new today. And um, Harry Styles' fan fiction is has just landed a six figure advance I, for this <sighs> this uh, story. And I d I don't know if I'm gonna call it I I don't know if you're gonna call it a novel, <laughs> because I don't I haven't seen it. Um, but it is oh, wow. She's twenty five years old, so she is, you know. She's older than the average One Direction fan, I assume. Uh, mainly, I from what I can tell, most One Direction fans are tweens, tweens, and teenagers. Teens. Yes,
1: um, but it's it's a pretty big deal. Um, I'm just I'm so shocked at that figure for that that kind of advance. I mean, I I think the thing that um, really surprises me is that, I mean, in, in a way for me, at least my personal view, is that it's like robbing these young adult um, fiction writers, you know, people who are pouring their passion their art and everything, and they're creating these brand new worlds and um, these fantastic plot points, yes. and Pouring it all into their manuscripts that aren't even being looked at. And then you have this fan fiction that just, you know, has, like, what was it? Like, 8 or 80 million viewers Mm -hmm. um, who just go on and read because, you know, it's simple. It's someone that they, like, absolutely adore. They're crazy about. And it's free. And exactly. And so, and then all of a sudden, there's a book deal. So, whether or not the writing is good, I don't know. Because you have some fan fan fiction out there that is amazing. Oh, yes. But... I I think what it
0: what it's really interesting is the culture that's coming around reading and YA and that kind of thing because if you think about it, we as readers don't typically you know um, let's say let's put it this way, John Green's new novel John Green who's the author of the Fault in Our Stars huge mm-hmm. movie that just came out he's very widely popular John Green can't send out. A manuscript on the internet to all of his viewers on YouTube, mm-hmm. um, you know, being a Joe Schmo, and get you know upvotes on it like you mm-hmm. would on Reddit or you would on some fan fiction site. But these people, you know, can you know these you know username whatever can do that. And then when publishing houses do see the numbers that those people are bringing in, that's when they want to cash in on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the normal, or I would say the traditional route that publishing typically takes doesn't, doesn't do that. You know, you write and you pour yourself into it. You don't know how many people are going to like it and how many people are going to love to read it or going to go out and buy it, but you send it in anyway. Mm -hmm. And so, um, what is really particularly interesting is there's this website and of course I'm going to forget the name of it right now, (laughs) but it is a, a romance writing website where you can, um, essentially, write a romance novella or novel and submit it on this website and people can read it for free Mm -hmm. and whoever gets the most reads or the most votes or the most, you know, hearts or whatever, that person will get a book deal through the publishing house that is, that is running the website. Wow. Um, so that's, you know, that's a new wave or a new route that people can take with publishing. I'm not going to say that that's going to be the way and the only way yeah um but it is it is interesting to see that that's the that's the path that publishing is now taking
1: you know I think um the thing that it really reminds me of is um in um the film scene I feel like maybe it's going to transform and morph into what we're seeing now in theaters as far as them making a million Marvel movies and Uh, you know DC Comics and and so we're like regurgitating all of this information over and over and over again you know it's been five years let's do a reboot instead of you have these great filmmakers who are coming up with original content and creating these amazing films that aren't being seen and so it kind of seems like um, them going this especially the fan fiction route they're doing it because they it, it's what rakes in the money. Mm-hmm. It's what, you know, the Iron Man mm-hmm. is going to rake in a lot more money than a small indie film would. And so it seems like it's becoming that, you know, generalized mainstream instead of it being qual- the quality of the, the work. It's the quantity of the funds that they're going to be getting out of it. And I I don't know. I kind of, I guess, limit that fact. I... Well, it's, it's interesting. Yeah.
0: That's for sure. <laughs> and, I mean, we'll definitely have to... I will definitely have to keep a lookout on this kind of stuff because I don't know. Fan fiction is definitely not one of the things that I go out and seek, but it has a lot of merits. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, on to discussion of the chapter. What do you say? You want to start talking about this chapter?
1: Um, should we start with maybe the writing? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can start with the writing. Um, one thing
0: for me, or, you know, or do you want to start, you want to start discussing? No, no, go ahead. Okay. One thing for me, it's, um, it's really hard not to talk about the writing in this chapter uh, because, um, it's, and I, and I said stunted originally, but what I really mean by that is it's, um, it's so exposition-y to put to put to put a, to put a Adjective on what this chapter does is that there's these little tiny um, if you actually look in the book There's these little tiny paragraphs and then it's a break and then it's another little paragraph and then a break and then It's another little paragraph and then a break and a lot of what she does with those little tiny breaks in this chapter is just put all this information on you on the reader and it's so Like, okay, I mean, I don't know how to say this, but it's just, it's a dump. It's an exposition dump. And it gets to the point where it's just meaningless. You know, the dialogue that she has with other characters, it's like, okay, I think I got it now. She works at a hardware store. Okay. Um, (laughs) And her internal monologue is just, uh, I, I don't know what she, what the characters, uh, voice is trying to be when she does her internal monologue, Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't fit with her character, with the things that she does and interacts with other people. It doesn't really fit with her character. Her internal monologue is almost, like, a different person than her, in my opinion. So... I
1: I kind of, um, wonder if maybe because, you know, it was written as Twilight fanfiction, originally, um, if... That kind of comes from the idea that really, in my opinion, um, Bella from Twilight is a big Mary Sue character. Sure. And um, I really think that maybe when writing Fifty Shades, she's going into the internal monologue thinking, okay, well, what would Bella do? And how would she respond to this? Or what would she be thinking? And then when it actually comes to Anna's interaction with people, it's like a completely different character. And it goes... So... she was struggling while writing, you know, who do I, do I follow what the character, what, what Bella would do? Is this new character that I've kind of created? Like, there's like a, almost like a fight yes. in between the two.
0: I would agree with that. And I've often wondered that when reading this book, how much of, you know, struggle did she have to go through to edit the, the twilightness out yeah. of the book in order to make it a new, different novel? Um... And so, something that you, you brought up about Bella being a Mary Sue character, um, some of my listeners may not know what that is. So why don't you go ahead and explain that?
1: What's a Mary Sue? Um, I think the easiest way that I can explain it is, is that, uh, especially when writing fan fiction in particular, um, you're taking in these pre-established worlds. So, for instance, I said that I originally started out reading Harry Potter, right? Sure. Um, so I'll use that as the example. Um, you would take and basically place yourself, um, most of the time, it's the writer placing themselves in the story and they interact with the characters um, in the way that they would if they were actually there. So it's not necessarily that this character has been created to fit in with the world for it to be, you know, cohesive and um, for everything to flow correctly. It's more of a if I went to Hogwarts, right. this is what I would say to Harry Potter, you know. Yes. So and so, it's not, um, it's not. There's no character development normally. It's usually just I have a crush on this person, and I'm going to find a way to write myself in and make okay. it flirtatious and whatnot. So
0: very, very well put. <laughs> um, uh, again, with the with the writing, the sentences don't flow very well together either. Um, something that one of our listeners brought up was that Anna almost contradicts herself within a sentence. You know, she'll say one thing to a character and then, you know, think or do a completely different thing than what she said. Or, um, in contrast, what I've noticed because I've read this book aloud in Mm -hmm. a, in a speaker, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) is that she'll think (laughs) something and then she'll say that exact same thing. Like in the book, it'll say, I wonder why he does that. And then she'll ask him, why do you do that? Like, I mean, it's so (laughs) redundant. And that's, um, I will, I will explain later as we go through the book that this book has become very infuriating to me as Mm -hmm. a reader because it's just so tedious and redundant and hard to read. Yeah. Um, because it's so, uh, I mean, it's just (laughs) not very well edited. I don't know what
1: else to say that without sounding like a total bitch about this no. book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that, um, I think it's completely understandable and I'm sure a lot of readers relate. Um, however, I will say that if you do read this books like on your
0: own, like not aloud to another person mm-hmm. or just read this book for fun, right? In your bed at, late at night in the dark. Um, which is I'm sure what some people do, but if you, you have your brain skips over those redundant parts. You yeah. know, you forgive yourself those moments of, okay, well, that's just stupid writing. I'm going to skip to the, the fun bits, essentially. Yeah. Um, so I think that if I hadn't read this book aloud um, for educational for the podcast, um, I think I would enjoy it a little bit better because I would have just kind of thrown that extra stuff out, out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I'm looking at it so critically, those things just come out.
1: That's you know? a good point, yeah. Um, I... I T- just touching, I guess, on, um, her, the words that she uses and, and it, particularly her, um, her descriptions. I, <laughs> I just, I was listening to, um, your podcast of you sure. reading it out loud and it got to the point where she writes, his voice was warm and husky, like dark melted chocolate caramel or something. <laughs> Uh, I just stopped and was like, are you kidding me? What is this? <laughs> Or something. <laughs> or something. And then, you know, he has a quote, oh, so secret smile, end quote. I just, I can't just, like, I'm, I'm almost speechless to it. It's, I, I can't, what is dark, melted chocolate caramel? How does that relate to his voice being warm and husky? And I, I just... I think that's the thing that really kills it for me is that there's no creativity in it. It's all I mean, you know, generalizations, what you would normally expect from you know, a 10th grader writing. You're right.
0: And that's not to say that this is a um a what's the word I'm looking for? This is not this is not the norm for romance novels. This yeah. is not what you find um, in a lot of romance novels, in my opinion. Oh, and the
1: contrary. A lot of romance novels are very well, like their descriptions are, sometimes they're almost impeccable. They're yes. wonderful. Well, and I'm,
0: you know, there are times though. A little when cheesy. Co- yeah, a little <laughs> cheesy, I mean, especially when it comes to the sex, which we yeah. haven't gotten into yet. Um, but I mean, that just comes with the territory in my opinion. Um, and most of the time they do find creative ways mm-hmm. to express those things um about the sexual tension or about the character's interaction or yeah it's not just it was like this or something you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) like it it reminds me of philippa gregory who wrote um Mm -hmm. other bull girl and another a long series she has a ton of books out um but i think her writing is you know phenomenal for being a historical like a romance kind Mm of a um of a, a novel, and I just, it's so difficult for me to kind of get into it when the descriptions that I'm seeing are so bland, and I, it's just, it's not my thing.
0: Yeah, I agree. I absolutely <laughs> agree. Um, I will say, Confession, The Virgin's Lover by Philippa Gregory uh-huh. was probably my first, like, uh, sexy novel that I ever read.
1: Yeah, so, she's, I think
0: she's fantastic. Yeah, I, I absolutely love it. Um, Okay, so going into the other characters surrounding Anna, because we do get introduced to several other characters. Um, The first that I mentioned was her parents. We got a small, small, tiny intro. Like, again, I I showed you Mm -hmm. the little tiny um, uh, chunks that are in this chapter. Um, She mentions her mother. She says she has a phone call with her mother. And she talks about her dad a little bit. Um, her mom calls and she asks how things are, um, for a moment, I hesitate. I have mom's full attention. Like, Hmm. like this hasn't happened before. Um, I'm fine is all she says. So she has her mom's (laughs) full attention and all she says is I'm fine. Um, and then all of a sudden her mom asks her if she's met somebody and her, and she's like, wow, I didn't realize she could, you know, whatever. Um, she tries to change the subject and it's, you know, she goes on to say how, you know, she talks again with her stepdad, who's been like her real father, but then she talks how complicated it is, even though the situation doesn't seem that complicated. If Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about relationships, her relationship with her parents isn't that bad. I mean, granted her mom has had three husbands, has been married three times. Her second husband has been the father figure to Mm -hmm. Anna. And she hasn't really met her real dad. Yes, that's a little complicated, but in today's world, it's not so uncommon. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not like she has this dark, twisted past with a father, or she has a, you know, a strange relationship with her mother. You know, like, it's not that this relationship is broken in any way. It's It's a full and complete relationship, and I feel like... When we go back to the writing, when you talk about how Anna feels about her parents, it's almost like, why? Why do mm-hmm. you need to bring this into this book? Because it doesn't have any relevance.
1: Well, I mean, I do have to say that I haven't um, read the whole thing. And I'm listening and following along mm-hmm. as you do your podcasts. And um, I'm, that's one thing that I was thinking while listening was you know, what is the relevance of this? And is it going to come back later? Is there going to be a reason why it's really here? And, I mean, right now, um, I don't foresee that necessarily being the case. It seems like, oh, I can't um, continue on with her story without mentioning at least something about her mom or her dad. You know, it's like almost thrown in as an afterthought uh, instead of it being actual, like an actual plot device as far as um, character development is concerned.
0: Right, and I, and this, Brings me into thinking about the other characters that she interacts with, namely her roommate, um, which I've talked about a little bit before, and the other gentlemen that mm-hmm. are around her. Like, Jose, who is the her friend, who's a photographer, and uh, her friend from who works at the same store, oh. um, Paul, who works at Clayton's. And <laughs> what's strange to me is that... <sighs> It seems like, it seems like the way that the characterization is supposed to be is that there's supposed to be this weird tension, Mm -hmm. right? But there's not any. You know, when you look at the way that Anna is reacting to the things that the other guys say to her and what is really happening, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: there's a huge disconnect. Yeah. Like, and being a book that is written in the first person from Anna's perspective This is a very broken mechanic to have. Um, And what I mean by that is that most first-person novels take on, you know, you're taking on the perspective of that main character, and then you have to ask yourself the question is, is this a reliable narrator? Mm -hmm. And this is a book that you don't really have that question, but it almost seems like there has to be because the interactions are so just unrealistic yeah you know what i mean yeah um what do you you
1: have any comments on that um i thought that her interaction with jose and paul uh, were both i mean uh, they were interesting and but i mean i still fell back into the why are they really being introduced i mean the right um i feel like maybe later on they'll probably um just my idea of the kind of like um impression that i received was that it was a little bit of foreshadowing of that she can use them as tools to you know incite jealousy from christian gray later on mm-hmm. that's where i kind of see them probably coming in like i said i've not actually read the book so we'll see but um i one thing that i that really bothers me about anna is that i feel like she has a complete lack of accountability in what she's doing um Really, I mean, it kind of, for me, it comes in when she starts, um, especially at the beginning of this chapter, she starts, um, I don't know if it's the beginning or the middle, but she begins blaming Kate for the interview. Right. And, (laughs) (laughs) like, who would go interview this big, you know, CEO of a ginormous company and not read the interview questions, number one, and not do a five-minute, you know, Google search on their phone while they're sitting there waiting to go into his office? Really, realistically, who wouldn't do that?
0: And also, realistically... What editor of a state university state university newspaper doesn't have another person working for reporter. them, a reporter, <laughs> to go substitute as the interviewer? No, she yeah. has to ask her roommate. I'm sorry. We're not at a small liberal arts college. Exactly. We're at a... This is WSU. Yeah. State University. I <laughs> mean, come on. I think we can... Do better. I think we can do a little bit better. So, but I mean... I. I see the reason for it there. I mean, that's the way that they meet. That's the way they have their, their first interaction. Um, and that definitely leads to their second interaction, which mm-hmm. is when he visits the hardware store and buys the zip ties. These zip ties come in later.
1: I'm sure. They do. <laughs> I mean, because um, there's,
0: there's <laughs> zip ties.
1: So. I, I'm i sorry, but this for me was ludicrous. I just, I, first of all, I, and Any normal, and I say that and I hope that it's not offensive at all, but, um, normal woman's reaction would not be, okay, he lives, what, like an hour, two hours away or whatever. It's not, like, right in his normal local walking facility. All of a sudden, this man that you met yesterday pops up at the place you work, knowing that you work there, because he's, he's basically leering at her over the counter, and then asks her to show him around hardware store, which I mean, obviously, if he's asking for these items because he's run out of them, he knows where they're probably located uh, or what aisles they'll be in. And then he asks for zip ties, masking tape, rope, and then coveralls at her, you know, suggestion. And I'm just for me, I'd be like, oh my god, this is Dexter. Well, like, <laughs> kind of kill me. I, I would agree
0: because <laughs> we talked about this in the last discussion. When they do their interview, and Anna is completely clueless when he makes these reference, these obviously sexual references, and they just float right over her head, and you know, yes, that would be believable if she was eighteen.
1: Yeah,
0: it would be believable if she was a freshman in college. It's not so believable as a twenty-two-year-old woman about to graduate as an English major. No, it's not really that believable.
1: No. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I, I think that, um, it's, it's really interesting to me as well, because I'm thinking about the line where Kate is, um, she's kind of talking to Anna and saying, I think he's quite taken with you. And you know, it's like, she's very upfront And for me. I personally think that's the author projecting what she views needs to be happening in this chapter through Kate. It's not really what I think a best friend would say necessarily I mean that's I mean my whole thing is that she's met this man like once or twice it doesn't matter how charming he is how attractive he is if he shows up at your place of work without him I mean obviously he's researched because at what point did she say that she worked at the hardware store you know like it's just so creepy to me and I feel like as women we are um this kind of goes along with the rape culture as well you know being um very aware of our surroundings of people that we're meeting and that is an instant red flag for most women
0: and i would absolutely agree there are often times when i go into situations and i kind of like think to myself is this is this something that is happening you know i mean it's just it's that instinct and i mean not to you know say that all women should be afraid all the time yeah um and that's not to say that this book um is you know promoting
1: that oh never no no
0: but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't mean it by that. <laughs> no,
0: no, no. But what I mean to say is that there are books who, that do this sort of thing yeah. with a, you know, a very domineering kind of, you know, sensuous male character and a very mm-hmm. innocent, you know, unknowing female character that do it better.
1: Yes. You know what yeah, I mean? Definitely. There are
0: books out there that have this same setup and do it a lot better Mm -hmm. In the sense of, you know, whether it's believable or not, it's done. It's written better. The characters are a little bit more um, believable and the situations are a little bit more, um, not to say realistic, but, you know, just more captivating, I'd say.
1: Well, I think that um, it kind of goes what you were saying as far as the writing being... um broken and not really flowing into each other is that if chapter one was different than chapter two oh you know than it is Mm -hmm. i think chapter two would make a lot more sense so like you're saying if we had um her first meeting with with him was in maybe a different environment it wasn't just a 15 30 minute interview with him however long it was and 45 minutes whatever and um if it wasn't just that small interview where she was asking these really strange questions and maybe they had talked and, like, not saying that this is necessarily, like, the sexiest setting. But, you know, they, like, met in a bookshop or a coffee shop or a bar and they talked for, like, three four hours. And then, all you know, and he kind of pursues her after that point. I think that, for me, that would be much more believable than her just going and interviewing him for a short period of time and him essentially asking her nothing about herself i mean it was of course you know centered on him it was an interview about him it just seems um i don't know it doesn't seem like it coincides well with each chapter is just so broken right and
0: we'll see more in chapter three i'm sure about what you know what goes on i haven't uh, it's been a long time since i've read it (laughs) it's taken me so long to get through this book Okay. So we'll find out more in chapter three. I do want to stop here as far as discussion goes, because I do want to get into new books. And my new book segment today is really exciting because I didn't go on Amazon and click on the new books that are out. Instead, I got this really awesome box from Book Riot. If you haven't been onto Book Riot, you need to go. It's called bookriot.com. And they have a quarterly box in mm-hmm. which you pay 50, $50 a quarter, and they send you a box full of really cool bookish goodies. And this week, or this month, this quarter, um, my, my box came two weeks late, that's why I'm talking about it now. <laughs> um, but this quarter, they uh, their theme was books that are genres that most people are ashamed or embarrassed to read. Mm-hmm. And so they included um, a romance novel, they included a YA novel, and they included a fantasy novel. All of which have different goodies. And the main one that I wanted to talk about was by Sarah McLean. It's a rogue by any other name. (laughs) I haven't read it yet but I'm super excited to read it because it looks really cute. And from what I can tell from the uh, reviews from the Book Riot readers is that it's not too like overly sexual. Mm -hmm. A lot of the scenes are more steamy and kind of fade to black. Um, But the, the premise is um, a decade ago, the Marcus of Bourne was cast from society with nothing but his title. Now a partner in London's most exclusive gamble, gaming hell, the cold, ruthless Bourne will do whatever it takes to regain his inheritance, including marrying perfect, proper Lady Penelope Marbury. Um, and so oh, their interactions, yes, uh, go from there.
1: You know, sometimes, but this scheme fade to blockers is, is so much better it's than... So, a, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's, it's more... You know, I don't know, in my opinion, sexier. Yeah. And then they got this, they gave me this really cool poster that goes oh, cool. with it. Isn't it cool? <laughs> and it says, 10 reasons to read romance by Sarah McLean. And one is because life can be difficult and books should be fun. True. Two, because love is the oldest story and it's the only one everyone wants a part in. Mm-hmm. Three, because Duke or vampire, cowboy or billionaire, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. <laughs> Four, because a genre by women, for women, the heroine always wins. Yeah. Five, because bodice ripping isn't always a bad thing. In <laughs> fact, it can be a very good thing. Yes. <laughs> Six, because sometimes the guy gets the girl. Seven, and sometimes a girl has to take matters into her own hands. Exactly. Eight, because romance is the chocolate truffle of the literary world. And don't we all deserve a treat now and then? I
1: love that. Nine,
0: <laughs> because a perfect match makes time and a good book is always company. 10, Because Everyone Deserves a Happily Ever After. That's so sweet. it's super cute, and I'm super excited about this awesome bookwrite box. If you're interested in more about their bookwrite boxes, you should definitely check them out. Um, they're on their website, bookwrite.com. It's super fun. Um, I absolutely love, 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 love it. Um, I got mine two weeks late, like I said, so I was dying for two weeks, not trying to look <laughs> at the pictures online. Um, but yeah, so that's the new books segment for this. And... Um, I didn't really have a lot of new recommendations this week, um, but my first recommendation, uh, as far as romance novels goes, I'm reading it right now. It's called. It's not really a, It's not really too much of a romance. It's probably more fantasy or sci-fi, but it's called "My Life as a White Trash Zombie," hmm. and it's fun. It's cute. <laughs> uh, Angel Crawford wakes up uh, naked and totally not not knowing what happened um, in a hospital and they tell her that she had overdosed on drugs and she's kind of like oh i'm such a loser um but then finds a mysterious note and a job waiting for her at the coroner's office huh. and so she goes to work at the morgue and slowly starts to realize that she is craving brains yeah. <laughs> um and it goes from there and it's very funny the character the main character is so quirky and fun like she's Set up as this white trash, you know, trailer trash girl, but she's very witty and smart and kind of Mm -hmm. just very, very fun. So those, that's my, my recommendation for the week. Clara, why don't you give your recommendations, romance novel recommendations?
1: Um, well, like I said, I'm a historical romance lover, and um, so my first one comes in the form of um, Forever Amber. It's by Kathleen Windsor. Um, it was originally published in 1944 and um, deemed pornographic oh um <laughs> at that time and it's been in so it's um, not so bad right it's no, <laughs> no <laughs> it really Four isn't not at all um but i thought it was really interesting because there's actually a lot of cultural references and i actually found out today that um even i love lucy referenced it and um the episode where lucy's trying to write her own her own novel and be a novelist and cool. i thought that was really cool um but it's a, basically a story of an orphan um her name is um amber st Clair, and it kind of follows her through tracks of 17th century england um society and so she falls in love with this you know handsome rogue and then ends up having to climb the ladder through sex politics scandal um she is jailed and goes through the plague um it's a it's i think maybe 1200 pages it's a it's a very lengthy like tome but oh, wow. it's wonderful and it's all while she's trying to um obtain the love of the man that she can't have Aww. so um it's it's an excellent novel and then my other one it's not as um romancy in the sense that there's necessarily a lot of sexy steamy scene like scenes but um the guernsey potato peel society yeah, the literary it. potato yes. society. yeah it's by marion shaver and it's um It's an excellent novel about a writer after um, World War II and the, um, the rubble of all of the, the bombings and everything. She, um, ends up getting this mysterious letter from a man that lives on Guernsey, which is an island outside of, um, of Britain. And he found her name in a Charles Lamb book and starts writing her and describing all of these great characters who live on the island and everything that they're going their Their island was occupied by German soldiers. Oh. And, um, so she ends up actually traveling to the island and knowing, getting to know the stories and stuff. And there's a really good love story in there. Um, it's, it's fantastic. I loved it. I fell cool. in love with it. So a little bit different from the norm, but yeah
0: fun um all of those books that we just mentioned will be in the show notes of the show i'll make sure to link back to them um and we're gonna wrap this up because we're a little bit over time so i'm jane you can find me on twitter facebook tumblr wherever and you can listen on uh, soundcloud stitcher podomatic and itunes so please go rate review and um make make your comments please do and Clara is not on the internet. Are you on the internet? Not really. Okay. Well, <laughs> if you have questions for Clara, you can always email me, of course, or make comments for me and I'll make sure they get back to her. Um, and hopefully you'll be back with us soon Definitely. to be more discussing. <laughs> awesome. It was, it was lovely to have you. Thank
1: you for having me. No problem. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye.
0: Doing It by the Book is written and produced by Jane Austere. Original music is composed and performed by Daniel Lott. For more information, check out DLO Games on YouTube. A disclaimer, DIBTB is a scholarly pursuit of literary criticism in romance novels. At its core, the podcast is purely educational and academic. I do not take ownership of the chapters or books read on the podcast, and they are completely the product of the author. Neither I nor any of the guest hosts receive any monetary compensation, except donations, or seek profit for our work or performance on this podcast. If you would like to hear more from DIBTB, you can follow me on Twitter at Jane Austere, email me at dibtbpodcast at gmail.com, or check out my website, dibtbpodcast.blogspot.com.